You have to be odd. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, yes, you have to be odd. I'm going to give you a clear explanation for that and a quotation for the day in just a minute here. This is 48 Days to the Work You Love, where each week we take about 48 minutes to go through questions that you, the real-life listeners, ask, questions about life, work, finding things that are meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. This is where we're going to break it down. Hey, here's some questions we're going to be covering today. Dan, I'm a dreamer. And I know God has given me talents, but I'm not sure how to pursue them. Well, that's a pretty open-ended question. We'll help break that down. Dan, I'm a 59-year-old career pastor transitioning out of church ministry due to caring for elderly parents. All right. And he has a question that goes along with that. It's essentially, can I do this? I'll tell you what this is. Dan, I'd like to move to a new city because I think there might be more opportunity in my field. Well, we got some good news and more questions as we can get to them. Here's our Cliff Feitner poem for the day. As you know, Cliff is an active member of 48 Days Eagles, keeps contributing poems having to do with work, and they are absolutely delightful. Here's one for the day. If you find that part of your quest is wanting to be your best, you need to prepare for changes out there. Be ready for every new test. I love the way Cliff just encapsulates real-life concepts related to work and puts it in a poetic form. Well, here's a quotation. It's going to go back to my little opening line at the beginning of the podcast today. This quotation comes from Dr. Seuss, who said, You have to be odd to be number one. Now, you have to think about that a little bit, but it has some really deep sense. You have to be odd to be number one. Well, we got a recommended resource for you. We got a whole lot of you that are asking about coaching since we're no longer doing our live events here, not doing coaching with excellence. And how does that keep the door open for coach training? Well, I've got a form Ashley has put together a form for you to complete. And it's just a form for you to help shape your own thinking. So you can think through, am I a candidate to be a coach? So there's nothing, there's no obligation or anything. It's just a form that will help you identify those things that would position you as a coach. So I'll put a link to the show notes. It's a a complicated URL, but I'll put a link to the show notes and that just look for the uh, coaching mastery program uh, questionnaire and you can complete that. Well, here's some good news. I love these kind of things that come in. We got stories from listeners as well and integrated into the questions. But here's an update. A cop buys his stolen. Well, (laughs) there's a young guy who went into a store, went into a Walmart, 18 year old, and he stole a shirt, a tie and some socks. Well, they caught him. Now, the cop that was in charge of the case talked to this kid, 18-year-old, and the kid explained to him, 
that he had a job interview coming up and he didn't have any money to have clothes that would make him look like a good candidate. So the cop talked to him about that. And the kid explained he was trying to turn his life around, earn enough money. His family had fallen ill and he was going to try to help the family. So the policeman, who says he's a firm believer in second chances, paid for the clothes. He paid for the clothes for the young man, agreed not to charge him for theft, wished him luck on the interview. Then, two days later, the policeman got a call from the 18-year-old who excitedly said that, yes, he had landed the position. Now, this is kind of an interesting setup, obviously, because we don't recommend you steal clothes to look nice. They're actually um, dressed for success chapters in pretty much every city around where they have clothing for exactly this purpose. I know we've got active chapters here in the Nashville area where you can go and get clothing that will make you look great for a job interview and they help you with you know personal presentation and makeup and things like that as well certainly there are other ways to make this happen but uh, be that as it may this young guy was given a second chance he did follow through did what he said he was going to do he was determined to get the position and he did so the second chance really works paid off great story i love the the approach that the policeman took in that particular situation now, here's a situation out of Waterloo, Iowa, where, you know, it's really kind of a sad story about a 16-year-old high schooler who realized that her school pictures, the date was coming up, and she was terribly depressed, so much so that she hadn't combed her hair properly in quite some time and had pretty much a matted, tangled mass of hair. Well, she got in touch with the young hairdresser and she really asked the hairdresser, just cut my hair all off, just cut it all off. You know, it's a mess. I'll just start over again. Well, the hairdresser worked with her for a very, very long time, actually spent about 12 hours working with her and talked with her about her depression, about her feelings about herself, worked with her hair and made this fantastic new style where she was able to smile and feel a little more self-confident as she got her picture taken. You know, there's a thing that our friend Jeremy Cowart, the celebrity photographer, does every year. He started it here locally in Nashville, but now it's spread all over the world. And there's this one day where they set up, where photographers set up. Now, Jeremy sets up, but he can only be in one place. But there are other photographers who have picked up the mantle, and now it's done in like 300 different locations where people who are homeless or really down and out can come in and they have people there, makeup artists and other people to help them look really great, wardrobe consultants, help them look really great and get their picture done. And believe it or not, there are people out there who may be in their 50s who have never had a picture taken of them. Now you'd think in today's world with phones and all that, that would be pretty uncommon, but to have a really nice portrait taken and it's transformative in the way that it helps some people you know get a new sense of who they are get back on their feet and of course these photographers are compassionate people obviously who are doing that kind of work i'll check it out I, i'll need to get, get you can find it easily and i'm not even sure what day it is i think it's like the first saturday in december now that i think about it i've heard Jeremy talk about that and he shared with me how that idea has spread but just a wonderful idea 
And again, a, a way to really share and help people out, do something with compassion. Now, a lot of what we're talking about today is just doing things that are different. You can make your mark in the world by doing things that are different. Now, that's something you would think, well, Jeremy makes a lot of money as a celebrity photographer. You know, he travels around the world with celebrities and he gets paid well for that. He could just give money to worthy causes. But there are always ways that you can take what it is you do well and use that as a way to help somebody out. Just like this hairdresser that, you know, spent 12 hours with a young gal working on her hair. I mean, there are ways that you can use whatever skill it is that you have. Use that. If it's baking great pies, you know, do that. Well, one more here, and then we'll move on. Craig Sullivan has been struggling to find love since his wife lost her battle with cancer about two years ago, and he d despises the idea of online dating apps. So what he did, he was inspired by a British rock song to put his dating profile in a bottle. So he's 49 years old, and he's put taken dozens of bottles that he put his personal profile in there and just threw them in the ocean in the hopes that some right person would find one and respond. Now this sounds like the script of a movie and certainly there've been movies that have been based on this message in a bottle, those kind of things. But it, this is kind of has gone viral. His messages have returned dozens of replies from places as far away as Brazil, Turkey, the United States, South Africa, Portugal, China, Japan. Now he lives in Scotland, incidentally. So he's throwing these bottles in Scotland. Now I'm not sure that people in these countries actually got him. If he's putting his profile out there as a 49 year old, good looking Scottish widower, he's probably getting responses where they didn't get it in a bottle. They just heard about the opportunity and are coming along. But He's a single dad, and he got the idea for just this unconventional dating plan after he you know, read about something similar. And so he just decided he would do this. Now, actually, he says he's been contacted by 137 people from different websites, newspapers, TV shows, radio stations, expressed interest in the story as well. And he's having a hard time uh, getting back to everybody they have told him to stop throwing bottles in the ocean because he's littering. So he's not doing that anymore, but again, just doing something different. Now here's an example. This last week, Joanna and I were down at Hilton Head Island, had a chance to meet Jesse Cole, who's the owner of a baseball team called the Savannah Bananas. Now you can Google that. There are amazing stories that are going all over the world about this, what he's doing with the Savannah Bananas. Now this is not a major league baseball team. It's not even a minor league baseball team. It's a collegiate team. And usually when you have these kind of teams and they play, you have, you know, 200 people that show up. Well, not the Savannah Bananas. I went to a game, went to a playoff game. They had won in a playoff tournament. <clears throat> so they had an opportunity to play this extra game on Friday night. Nobody knew about it two days in advance. And yet on Friday night, it was completely sold out over 4,000 people there. Now that's what Jesse does. <clears throat> he knows how to draw a crowd. When he took over this stadium, it did have a minor league team there that said they were drawing about 200 fans per game. And they said that they could not draw fans to this old stadium. They told the city of Savannah that they needed a $38 million 
stadium, and then they draw a crowd. Well, Savannah said no. Columbia, South Carolina said, okay, we'll do that. They did. They built a $38 million stadium. Jesse took over this old stadium where they couldn't draw a crowd. And in the first full year of the new stadium, Jesse outdrew in audience attendance at his old stadium compared to the brand new multi-million dollar stadium. He just knows how to make it fun. He knows how to make it an incredible experience. I went to the game on Friday. I got there an hour and a half early and there were families lined up to get in when the gate opened an hour and a half early. And there were families with little babies and there were old people with walkers and canes there. There were military people, motorcycle riders. The audience was amazing diversity of people. And before the game started, they had a little five-year-old. Actually, before the game started, the teams were out on the field warming up. And of course, you know, baseball players, they're throwing, they're squatting, they're throwing pitches and all that. Not the Savannah Bananas. They're tossing footballs. They're hiking and running down the field throwing passes. Is that what baseball teams normally do? No, it's different. (laughs) Jesse says, you don't have to be better. You just have to be different. The things they did in this game, I mean, I took four pages of notes. I mean, they had a five-year-old come out right at the beginning of the game. You know, he hit a ball off a tee. Of course, it went about 10 feet. Somebody picked it up, threw it to the first First baseman, of course, it went way over his head, and the little kid kept running to second the crowd, screaming for him to continue going. They throw it, they flub it. You know how that goes. And the kid comes across home plate just in time before the ball gets there and the crowd goes wild. Well, they did those things all night long. I mean, they have six-foot inflatable monkeys that they were bouncing around the crowd. What does that have to do with baseball? Nothing. But it's entertainment. Uh, the, the players in between one of the innings dance to the music of Thriller. Jesse has a dance instructor come out and actually work with them to make him good at dancing. He's continually interacting with the crowd. Baseball is a slow game. Jesse's continuing to do things. They go through promotions. They, at one point, they came out and had buckets of Lucky Charms that they threw out into the crowd. Now, you would think, well, those are little boxes of Lucky Charms, Lucky Charms you take home with you. No, I'm talking loose Lucky Charms, like confetti. I mean, when's the last time you were in a crowd and had Lucky Charms thrown on your head? Well, (laughs) on and on and on. That's the kind of things that you can do. And again, back to our quotation for today, Dr. Seuss says, you have to be odd to be number one. Well, that's exactly right. Do things that are different if you're going to be number one. Well, here's something not to do. Just one other interesting tip out of the paper. I won't even give the company name, but the CEO of a very large company has stepped down because it seems that what he had on his resume, being a PhD from MIT and an MBA from New York University, uh, neither university has any record of his attendance. This is one of those things we hear again and again and again. I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy applies to be PhD of a major company. And he has, I mean, to be CEO, (laughs) get my acronyms mixed up. He applies to be CEO of a major company and he has a phony PhD on his degree, on his resume and another phony degree, an MBA. Doesn't have either one of those. 
my goodness. I mean, you might be able to slide those by if you're looking for a job at Hobby Lobby or Walmart, but I think you'd better have a pretty clean resume if you're going to apply for a high-level position where they might, in fact, check you out. Now, the interesting thing is they didn't check those degrees out. He's been in this position for quite some time, but now the universities themselves got involved because of some of the bad press that was coming around about this company and the guy as a CEO. And the university said, now, wait a minute, we don't have a record of that guy ever coming to our university. And he, he's given us bad press out there because of the things that he's doing. Well, we know the MBA is the most phony degree in America. There are thousands of people who put an MBA on there because it seems to be, you know, some kind of a, a lustrous degree. Certainly, that'll give me a little added advantage. And it is highly unlikely for an employer to ever check to see if you actually did get it. So a lot of people fudge that. They think it gives them a little bit of an edge. It's one of those degrees that doesn't have a lot of specificity. Employers don't really know what it means other than it just sounds kind of cool that somebody, you know, took the time to get an MBA, Master's of Business Administration. So it gives people a little edge, technically, well, at least supposedly, but uh, please don't do that. I am in no way encouraging that. It's horrible. I mean, it's, it's just one indication of lacking integrity. It's lying. And if somebody lacks enough integrity to have a phony degree on their resume, yeah, they're going to lack integrity in other ways as well. I mean, you might've heard me tell the story. One time I had a, a great young guy who happened to have been a professional baseball player, but a great young guy working for me in one of my businesses. And I came in one morning and the night janitor told me that he had seen this guy, Dave, leave with a four pack of toilet paper. So when Dave came in the next morning, I asked him, I said, is that true? And he says, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I did. I took it home. It was a little short at home. And I said, well, you know, you can clean out your desk here. I won't be needing you here anymore. And he was dumbfounded that I would fire him over a $2 four pack of toilet paper. I said, well, I don't know where you draw the line. You know, if you if you lack honesty in that area, I don't know where you draw the line. I simply can't afford to have you on our staff here. Well, it was a painful lesson for which he thanked me a couple years later. I mean, we stayed in contact. I didn't fire him in anger. I just said, that doesn't fly here. I won't be needing you anymore. And he did. He thanked me a couple years later for the valuable lesson learned. Well, let me go into some of the questions from our listeners. Justin says, I heard you mention in last week's podcast about criminals being able to work off fines rather than doing jail time. And I did. I talked about that where it's becoming more common for them to come up with some kind of community service because it's, it's pretty self-defeating if somebody owes money and can't pay it and you put them in jail. I mean, how is that ever going to change? Is there really a lesson to be learned if they don't have money to put them in jail and sit there and look at the walls rather than giving them an opportunity to create money? Well, Justin says our library does the same with book finds. You can sit in the book, sit in the library and read for 30 minutes or 60 minutes and they reduce the fine that you have, uh, which is great because some people, he says, have exorbitant fines built up. Just thought you'd like to know others are finding ways to work off monetary debts other than just charging dollars. Well, I love it. I love, again, the creativity, doing something different. That's opens doors for a whole lot of things. Now, here's a question comes from Eric. Don't know how old Eric is, but it kind of implies that he's young. 
So let's assume that he's about 23 years old. So Eric says, Dan, I want to thank you for your wisdom and information you share every week. I have a question in regard to what I should do in life. I'm a dreamer and I know God has given me some unique talents, but I'm not sure how to pursue them. I'm an entrepreneur, always have been, but I haven't gotten to where I want to be. And I'm tired of working dead end jobs for someone else when I'm meant for more. That's a great statement. I'm tired of working dead end jobs when I know I'm meant for more. Well, that meant for more is what needs to be dissected. Eric says, I just recently got married, have had my first child. I'm a little frustrated, not sure what to do. My passion is the outdoors and helping kids. I recently moved to my wife's home state and currently am living with her parents to get our finances squared away. But I'm tired of applying for jobs that require degrees, which I don't have, while I do have plenty of experience. Any advice would be appreciated. I do reinvest back into learning and self-development, looking to join the 40 Days Eagles Club when we get back on our feet. Thanks for your time. Well, I love the fact that you recognize you're a dreamer. Here's a, that's a common phrase. Check this out. There you go, Eric. You are not the only one. You may say you're a dreamer. Yeah, there's a whole lot of us out there. And don't give up on that. Don't go away from that. But you got to put legs in those dreams. Everybody has dreams, but not everybody accomplishes something of significance. The way you move past being a dreamer is to create a clear plan. So it's like I talk about, you have to move beyond just accumulating knowledge or having ideas. You have to move to the understanding and application. Now, I talk a lot about that three-legged stool, passion, talent, and money. Follow your curiosity. Identify what it is that gets your interest. You say that your, your passion is the outdoors and helping kids. Okay, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do to move into that arena? We were just, um, Joanna and I also went over to Defusky Island and her nephew and his wife, young married couple, lived there. He works in a little rum distillery, the only employee, really cool kind of operation. She is a tour guide. Now, she was previously a teacher, but she is now a tour guide under Fusky. So they line up golf carts and she takes them on a tour of the island. The island's about three by five miles. There are a lot of interesting things. There's some really rich history. And Anna just explains to people history of the island we went on our tour it's phenomenal now they're living simply but they both have jobs they're not true entrepreneurs they both have jobs but they're doing them in a place that had a lot of interest to them they're living on a little tiny island they know all the other people who live there permanently and then they get to interact with other people as they come and go as well there's a lot of creative things you can do and so if your passion is the outdoors and helping kids. All right. That's fantastic. What are 20 ideas that you could do that would engage your passion for the outdoors and helping kids make a list of those things, but then go beyond that. 
identify what would a clear plan look like for you to do what it is that you're doing that you want to do. What would that look like? Create a plan. You can move into that. I mean, that's where you've got to go. It may not be in a traditional job. You know, when you describe yourself, you know, being entrepreneurial, you're frustrated with entry-level kind of jobs, dead-end jobs. You know, you describe yourself as probably somebody that would be categorized as ADD, ADHD. Hey, if you are, congratulations. You know, those are the things that project people like the head of JetBlue, you know, who has severe ADD. Um, He says he would not change it. If there were a pill to change it, he wouldn't because that's what got him the kind of opportunities that he has now. People like Richard Branson, you know, Mark Cuban, golly, those guys aren't going to fit in any kind of a normal job role. And yet they go on to put legs in their ideas and do things. So be confident you can do that, but be clear about having an intentional strategy for what it is you're going to do. One of our new coaching mastery participants uh, has been doing amazing things. She has a full-time job and I worked with her that pattern that I talk about so much where you just invest 15 hours a week in your side hustle, the side business you want to do. That's what she's done, but she's filled her schedule with some amazing coaching opportunities because she's so intentional about the things that she's doing. Things like calling the mayor of her city is her city at the day after he was elected and helped him work out a plan. And now she's working with 18 city leaders and then coaching them and their teams. And that whole thing just exploded into as much as she can handle in her coaching business because she took strategic intentional action. That's what you've got to do to move forward. Bob says, Dan, I'm working my way through your 48 days book and loving it. I was wondering if anyone has reported doing anything in the food area either restaurants or ingredients or consumer food products. I have an interest in that area and was just curious. Well, Bob, that's probably one of the most common areas where people develop their entrepreneurial skills, develop a side business, probably one of the most common things out there. And of course, it starts with kids with their lemonade stands and having cookies. I mean, my own grandkids, I mean, one of the ideas that Clara, who is now 10, pursued when she was about seven. I mean, she saw this opportunity having people show up at live events here at the sanctuary, a captive audience. Well, she got together with her yaya, her grandma, Joanne, my wife, and they made poppy seed muffins. That was one of her first ideas, poppy seed muffins. Well, it didn't matter what her quantity was. She'd sell out in a heartbeat, not only sell out, but get generous tips as well. But we see it in kids where they have food-related ideas. Ashley, my daughter, when she was in high school, she was well-known for her apple pies. With me coming from the Amish Mennonite heritage, she learned from my mom how to make these wonderful pies, you know, apple pies with all the brown sugar crumb topping on them. So she took orders in advance where you may have a family that wanted uh, two pies a month for an entire year or somebody getting ready for a party and they wanted 10 pies. But she took 
orders like that in advance, made those pies, was selling them for $25 a piece. And this was years and years ago when she was just a girl in high school. I've had friends who have come up with salsa. I have a friend named Scott who came up with a salsa that is the most amazing salsa I've ever tasted. And so he moved into you know, the commercial production of just that one item. We've seen that again and again. Uh, Jeff David, who's very active in the 48 Days Eagles community, his love is food. Now, what he did to position himself as such was to start writing reviews. He was really just doing blogs. Now, think about how easy this entrance into the food industry was for, for Jeff. He started writing blogs that were essentially reviews of restaurants in his area. He lives in a Salt Lake, Salt Lake City, Utah area. Well, those reviews became very popular to the point that he was being asked by restaurants to come eat there and write a review. Well, that opened the door for him to be very involved in that. His real passion is barbecue. And now he's entered, he, he shares in the 48 Days Eagles community all the time about barbecue competitions that he's in. And he's always, you know, in the top two or three positions because he's very, very good at doing that. So he cooks, he writes, he caters. Uh, travels and now he's now he's being asked to judge competitions as well so there's a whole lot of applications of things that he's doing where he's creating income from doing that but totally took his passion for food and just developed it andy marshall lives here locally in the franklin area if any of you have ever been to franklin which many of you have you probably heard of puckett's puckett is one of the most iconic restaurants in this area Andy came to me as a client about 18 years ago as a young guy and said, well, I'm not sure what to do. And we evaluated the things that he was interested in and he was interested in food. He has the Midas touch when it comes to food preparation. So he purchased an existing restaurant out in Leaper's Fork called Puckett's and has since sold that, but he has seven locations, restaurants that have different names, different themes, different menus all the way around, but he just is a master at making those things thrive. He just added a new one out in West Haven, which is a, a real elegant subdivision, new subdivision here in Franklin called Scouts Pub. And it's animal friendly because it's right there in a closed community. A lot of those people have animals. And so the name of the restaurant is Scouts Pub. Well, he also has added because of having seven restaurants now, they have their own branded barbecue sauce. They have brisket marinade, pepper sauce, four different dry spices. They have their own brand of ice cream and are doing their own bottling of uh, wine because they use so much in his restaurants. Uh, we just, uh, again, on a trip, just stopped in to see Scott Beebe, who's my business coach this year, and uh, took them a basket full of products from Puckett's that Andy has developed. Miller's Grocery, you hear me talk about that. It's our Friday night date destination most times when we're in town. So Joanna and I have been going down there. It's about a 45-minute drive from our house down through the country. We love the drive. Show up at this little place called Miller's Grocery. It was a grocery store years and years ago. At this point, it is this really quaint, historic restaurant 
No two chairs are the same. The floor is very uneven. The paint's peeling. That's part of the the mystique of the place. It's been featured on national TV multiple times. Debbie and Laura are two gals who own that together. They work hard and do an amazing job. But again, just their passion for food. Uh, Their desserts is in the category of what they would call around here, you know, to die for. Uh, But that's Miller's Grocery. So in response to your question, Bob, yes, lots and lots and lots of people in the 48 Days audience have taken their passion for food, whether it's uh, restaurants or ingredients or consumable food products, as your question said. Yes, absolutely. Great area to develop. Now, I got a note from our friend Jim Hodges. Recently, I've had, I don't know, not a lot, but probably four or five different people who somehow have gotten to that part in No More Dreaded Mondays where they read about Jim Hodges. Now, Jim is the guy who several years ago now uh, decided that if there was one thing that he would really enjoy doing, it would be sitting around the house reading old history books. Well, he turned that into a business. He turned, he took action on that, created a, a strategic plan. And so he reads primarily the old historical novels written by G.A. Henty. So they're in the public domain. He reads those, but he brings those stories to life. He uses sound effects, musical intro, intros and interludes that he uses. He created study guides for those. And then he and his wife, Monica, travel around to homeschooling conventions, and they sell that as curriculum for homeschoolers. Well, he heard me talk about that again, so he sent me an update. Um, it's probably been seven or eight years ago, I would imagine, since Jim first started doing this. I'll I'll ask him for an update. But he sent me an update on what he's doing now. He says now he has 60 audios available on his new website. Check this out. He has Download a Month Club with over 200 subscribers. So people pay a monthly fee. Now think about how that changes when you start something that has a continuity program like that, which is what that does. He has members in his Download a Month Club with now over 200 subscribers. He just launched it in January and he is, he's launching as well an affiliate capability. He says the monthly club payments have given me a sense of calm that has allowed me to really focus on the next steps to providing quality audiobooks to the homeschooling market. I've also recently partnered with Made for Success Publishing for them to produce editions of my recordings for the library and bookstore market. Just thought I'd give you an update on how Jim Hodges Audiobooks is doing. And he says uh, he and Monica are going to be in... Um, Nashville next spring for homeschooling convention. Would like to have lunch with us again. We'd be delighted to do that, Jim. Now, if you really want to check that out, and I appreciate Jim being so open about it. I sometimes hesitate about giving people specific contact information because I don't want somebody to get you know, overloaded with, gee, you know, how can I do that? Can I share your success or just duplicate what you're doing? But it's jimhodgesaudiobooks.com. You can go there, check out his new website. And I love, love, love what Jim is doing. So that's a cool update from him. Paul says this, I'm a 59-year-old pastor, career pastor, transitioning out of church ministry due to caring for elderly parents. Because my MA in human services 
But because of that, I got a job in social services that takes care of insurance and meets our basic needs, but it's not enough money to do the extra things we enjoy. Since I'm an experienced and effective communicator, as well as a good writer, I've dreamed of becoming a speech writer. Currently, I'm writing an acceptance speech for a college football Hall of Fame inductee, and it's a blast doing this for him because it makes use of my best skills, plus I love football. How can I best pursue my dream of becoming a speechwriter? I don't know what to charge, where to find clients, etc. 48 Days has been a lifeline for me as I try to discover what this time of transition makes possible. Wow, I love your question, Paul, and love your heart on this, and yes, there is a surprising amount of opportunity in being a speechwriter. I did a little checking in response to your question. President Obama's head speechwriter had an annual salary of $172,000, which was the same as the president's chief of staff. Now, the, I think the income, I think the pay for being president is only like $200,000, but his speechwriter was being paid $172,000. That's high. And I assumed right away, well, that's just a real anomaly. But I went to salary.com and checked on speechwriter. The median annual speechwriter salary is $125,661 as of August 3rd, 2017. So we're talking about right now, the average for a speechwriter who does that full-time is $125,000. I did a little bit more checking and I found people who are speechwriters who have a client list of three or 400 clients. Now think about this. Think about the applications here. So if you have a client who is president of a company, let's say, the speechwriters will write everything from acceptance speeches to wedding toast the thank you notes. Now, in, I see people who are doing wedding toast that are charging $500 for that. One of my concerns in being a speechwriter is that it doesn't seem scalable, meaning it doesn't seem like you can, I, I look for things that I could do once and then get paid a thousand times. So if I do a book or an ebook or a course or whatever, it, it leverages itself like that. Writing individual speeches cannot but it seems that people who are good at doing that just have a client list. And so they fill their time. And if you can be paid an average, the average is $125,000. I mean, that's pretty attractive. So it seems there are a lot of opportunities there. But Paul, what you can do, I mean, I've given you just a little bit of encouragement, not really the specifics, but it's certainly something that is legitimate. It's something that people need. It's something people look for, something that people search for, how to do a perfect wedding toast. You know, what to say in a eulogy if you're asked to speak at a friend's funeral, which I've done golly, probably five or six times myself. I mean, what do you say? Having somebody that helps you craft a meaningful message yeah, absolutely. Options there. That's one of those things we don't talk about a whole lot as a career choice. You're not likely to be going through college and have the career director tell you, hey, you ought to be a speechwriter. But it's one of those things, if it's based on your unique skills, something that you really enjoy anyway, absolutely. Zero in it. Be exceptional in what it is that you do and rock and roll. Jonathan says, Jonathan here from Frankfurt, Kentucky. 
We met briefly a couple years ago at the Frothy Monkey in Franklin, where Jeff Goins was sitting outside as well. I remember that. Uh, Joanne and I go there frequently. Frothy Monkey is the name of a little coffee sandwich shop. We're not coffee drinkers, but it's a common hangout place. A lot of people, when they come to town, uh, people like um, Brian Dixon, Mike Kim, um, I just went to a meetup. It's called the Epic Breakfast Club. When these guys come to town, they reserve the second floor of Frothy Monkey for an entire day and just have people come through and just hang out and just brainstorm together. But it's a really cool place here in Franklin, Tennessee. And we were sitting outside and Jeff and Ashley Goins were sitting outside as well. And uh, Jonathan and, and his wife came, were sitting there, overheard a conversation and we talked for a little bit. All right, now here's a question. Now check this out. Jonathan says, I'd like to move to a new city because I think there might be more opportunity in my field. I'm a social media and email marketing consultant and an Evernote certified consultant. What would be your process to search for a job in another city in another state? Well, Jonathan, if there is one thing in the world for which geography has no bearing at all, it's being a social media and email marketing consultant. You can live anywhere you want to. If you want to get a job with a company, it doesn't matter. You can do that. You can work for a company out of Seattle and still continue to live in Frankfort, Kentucky. Or you can have five clients where you're their social media director. And again, they don't care where you are. I mean, my social media director, where she lives, has no bearing on her competency in doing what she does. My goodness, we communicate. We don't get together personally. We communicate via social media, via email and other things that we do, Zoom. So, and here's the thing. A lot of people uh, get caught up in the grass is greener and the other side of the fence. Well, you know, be careful with that. I mean, here's, here's what I want to say. It doesn't matter where you live as long as you live fully there. A lot of people think that moving geographically is going to increase their opportunities, increase their success. A lot of people talk about that with Franklin, Tennessee. They come here and they see, you know, Dave Ramsey and Michael Hyatt, Jeff Goins and Dan Meller and a whole lot of other people. And they think, oh my gosh, this is where the magic happens. I need to move to Franklin, Tennessee. Moving to Franklin, Tennessee doesn't change your life. You taking specific action could in fact change your life. There's no doubt about that, but it's not the geography. Don't be, be very careful about thinking that you're going to move to find better opportunities. And certainly in what you're talking about now, if you guys want to move, Jonathan, if, if you guys want to move somewhere, have fun with that. You can live anywhere you want to move somewhere because of the lifestyle that you think it'll give you because you want to move to that particular place. Do that, but don't think that that's going to be the key to your success as a social media director, it's going to have very little impact in any, any way at all. Well, hey, just a quick interlude here. Just to remind you, you're listening to Real Life Questions. From you guys, the listeners, I love it. If you want to submit a question, I'd be happy to put it in the lineup for an upcoming podcast. You can just shoot that directly to me at askdan at 48news.com. Well, let me grab a couple more here before we run out of time. Kevin says, I noticed that you mentioned three books that your grandkids were reading. One of them was The Magic Thinking Big. Can you tell me what the others were? Yes, I can. I can do that real quick here. 
So they're reading The Magic of Thinking Big, three of my grandsons. The other books were Think and Grow Rich and The Power of Positive Thinking. Those are the ones. Now, the five that I recommend, and it doesn't include The Power of Positive Thinking, the old Norman Vincent Peel book. It's a wonderful one. I just don't happen to have that on my list of five that I think anybody before 30 ought to read. But those five are How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, See You at the Top, Zig Ziglar, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, The Magic of Thinking Big, David Schwartz, and Acres of Diamonds by Russell Conwell. Those are the ones that I recommend. Well, Billy says, Dan, I'm a big fan of yours and Seth Godin. You previously talked about buying a book of his that contained many, if not all of his blog posts up to that date. Did you ever benefit from that purchase? Was it worth it? Thank you, Billy. Absolutely, it was worth it. Now, what you're describing is Seth's book. What does it sound like when you change your mind? It's 800 pages, 17 pounds. It's very, very large. It's a really big book. I mean, when you, you, don't, you don't need a coffee table. If you got this book, you can put legs on it and you got a coffee table. It's that big. It was absolutely worth it. Not because I read the book, but because I just like having it. It's another example of being different. I love it because of that. And incidentally, the way that he sold it, was that it started out, if you were really early buyer, it was $139, which I did. If you waited a little bit, it was in 159 And if you waited till they had already produced them, already did the publishing and just had 400 or so left, it was then 189 But again, I love the counterintuitive kind of things that Seth is well known for. Well, just kind of a recap. Again, I'm going to put in the notes, I'll put in our notes, a link to the questionnaire that we have for Coaching Mastery Program. Just have fun with that if you want to. I mean, certainly we'd be delighted to talk to you about if you are a fit for that. I mean, we want to see that people are pretty well positioned as a coach before uh, they get into our Coaching Mastery Program. We're developing some other things that'll be more entry-level kind of processes where you can get information, learn about coaching. Uh, That's not it. But if you're firmly positioned as a coach and would like to talk to us about the Mastery Program, I'll put a link to that and you can go through. And again, you can go through that so you can just think through the questions we ask. And decide for yourself if coaching is something that you really think that you ought to pursue. Well, just a couple final thoughts here as well. Just kind of a recap. And uh, to kind of bring us up to speed on that. If you want a recap, it doesn't matter where you live as long as you live fully there. One another quotation we had from our friend Jesse Cole from the Savannah Bananas You don't have to be better. You just have to be different. And then our quotation from the day that came from Dr. Seuss, you have to be odd to be number one. I love that. I love that. You can be normal and be number two or number four or number six, I guess. You have to be odd to be number one. And I think that really conveys an important principle. Don't try to be like everybody else if you do. You're never going to stand out or do something extraordinary. So don't be afraid to be different. Look for ways to be different in what it is you're doing, in the the work that you're doing, the kind of things that you're doing now. Be different in doing that. Well, we appreciate you being part of the 48 Days community. Check us out at 48dayseagles.com. It's an exciting group that's growing every day. 
people are sharing in there, getting a lot of support and encouragement from others, obviously, in the things that they're pursuing, getting clarity in what it is they ought to be doing, and then getting the resources to move into that. We've got book publishers, editors in there, franchise consultants, attorneys, and all those people are in the 48 Days Eagles community. That's so... um, those resources are readily available to help people really make quantum leaps forward. But no matter where you are, I trust that you're having a great summer, that you are taking specific action, that you're looking for ways to be different, to stand out, do things that others aren't doing, and in the process, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.